0: You can turn to Proverbs, although I'll warn you again, uh, this is a catch-me-if-you-can type of sermon as we are in the latter part of this series over Proverbs. I'm now, uh, instead of going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, picking themes and topics that exist within Proverbs and then clustering those Proverbs together together to see what the book of Proverbs as a whole says about different things. And so uh, today we're gonna be talking about emotions. Several emotions have been mentioned in the book of of Proverbs and we're gonna look at those. Next week we're gonna look at friendships, then we're gonna look at money, and then we're gonna look at the concepts of life and death and how they impact our lives. And so those those are the remaining topics that exist in the book of Proverbs and how we're gonna be covering them. And so we're gonna finish out the month of October in the book of proverbs and then november we get to start a brand new sermon series and we're going to go through uh, the gospel of mark and so it's been a while since i've preached through a gospel and uh, i can't wait i've never preached through the gospel of mark and so i'm looking forward to that it's the most efficient synopsis of the life of christ and so it could be a great time for us to encourage maybe even challenge somebody in our lives to to start coming to church because so often people just don't know from the Bible the story of Jesus the the gospel of Jesus they go on what they have heard they go on uh, cultural stereotypes instead of the Bible itself and so it could be a great opportunity for someone to learn about who Jesus is from the Bible for the first time so I would encourage you to think about that as November is approaching I think it's a great opportunity for us as a church but today we're going to be covering um, several different emotions that are covered in the book of Proverbs. And so um, it's no surprise though that there are so many emotions described and we have so many uh, Proverbs that deal with specific emotions because we are emotional. We don't like to think of ourselves as as emotional though. right? Usually when you you call someone emotional, that's usually how we, we try to say, well, uh, they have a difficult time controlling their emotions. So, so when we call someone a, a, an emotional person, that's usually a way that we're slamming them, right? Like they can't restrain themselves. They or they wear their emotions on their sleeves. You never have to know what they're thinking or way, or what they're feeling because they express themselves so quickly. And and so I think I think the way it is in in our society is that we we instinctively in order to appear in control we instinctively try to present ourselves as stoic or as indifferent to the things going on around us as if things don't affect us and so we we then try to mask or downplay or or suppress the way we feel and express ourselves but but we are emotional and being emotional isn't bad right and, I, it's it's one of the ways that we're like God. I mean, we were created in his image, and he is emotional. He expresses himself in several different emotions, right? When we read through uh, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, he actually teaches us about his own glory, about his own righteousness, his holiness, through a display of emotions. That's how he describes himself to us. He wants us to understand him through a description of his emotions and so one of the most straightforward ways to do this then is to study a gospel as i mentioned we're getting ready to go go through the, the gospel of mark here in the next month when we study the life of christ we are studying god in this world god in the flesh right he entered his own creation and he displayed all sorts of different emotions perfectly in perfect holiness we see jesus express his love for others, his, his compassion. Other times we see him moved with great pity towards people, and he, he heals them. We see Jesus display his sadness in, in different ways. He wept over Lazarus when he dies, and he, he wailed over Jerusalem when, when he sees what's taking place there. He was frustrated at times with his disciples. Sometimes he was so frustrated he just had to get out of their, out of their presence. He so, sometimes he was so frustrated when he would teach to the crowds. He would just become so frustrated with the crowds because they would misunderstand him or misrepresent him when they talked about him that he just had to get away and go pray on a mountaintop somewhere, and just get away from the people. So we see him express frustration and, and even anger, right? When he, when he confronts a Pharisee, look out. Right? He, he gets mad. We see him in the temple driving out the money changers, and so he he expresses himself in anger. But we also see him present himself in joy, and we know that he came to, to share his joy, that we could live with joy. And so we see all of these different emotions whenever we study the life of Christ. And so it's no wonder, it's no wonder when we look into Scripture, we are given so much instruction on how... To to display emotion and what is an appropriate response and what is not an appropriate response. Like if you came to Christianity to be less emotional, you came to the wrong place. God displays his emotions. Jesus displays his emotions. And so we want to use the word of God not to become less emotional, but rather we want to use the word of God so that we can discern our emotions so that we can evaluate the emotions that we feel in different circumstances and situations and be able to judge whether or not those are appropriate emotions to to display. You know, last year, we were doing a book study with a a group of guys in our church over a a book by an author named Peter Scazzaro, and the book was entitled Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it was a book that helped you kind of sort through your emotions and, and and one of the points that he makes in that book that I thought was really helpful is he says you know rather than suppress your emotions rather than try to ignore them and, and rather than try to be less emotional pay attention to your emotions and, and try to discern what those emotions are teaching you about yourself if you're angry when this happens why you know if you're if you're overly sad or insecure when something like this takes place in your in your life, well, then why? What is it about you that causes you to respond like that, and is it appropriate? And so it's often the case that when you really start to utilize your emotions like that to learn about yourself, that it can reveal things that you didn't know were there. Like sometimes we have these these really strong emotional responses to things in our life, and it reveals that we have this deep hurt that we live with, and we, we, we thought we were past it, but When issues like that that are similar to that happen again, we have that same emotional response to this deep hurt that we're holding on to in our life. Other times it can reveal a deep ingrained belief that we didn't even know we really held, but because of certain circumstances in our life and the emotional response that we have to them, we're like, oh, man, I must be holding this belief, and that's why I respond the way that I do. Our emotions reveal our hopes, our desires, our motives, and so... Understanding and, and identifying and evaluating and discerning your emotions is a is a really important thing for us to do because we were created as an emotional being. And so through the influence of God's word, I think that we can redirect some of our emotional responses to better reflect who God is in the world. And that's what we're trying to do today as we discover some verses and and evaluate and learn about some verses in Proverbs about our different emotions. Now, there there are, uh, the list of emotions talked about in Proverbs is long. I couldn't possibly cover all of them. So I want to focus in on four of them today. I want to talk about uh, four uh, emotions that surface routinely in the book of Proverbs. One is fear. We've talked about it a lot. We're going to talk about anger. I want to talk about jealousy, and then I want to talk about cheerfulness so it's not all negative today, right? So let's talk about fear. This is, this is no surprise whatsoever. This is how the book gets going in the book of Proverbs. This is the premise. This, this emotion that we have is kind of the premise of the entire study of the book of Proverbs. Right out of the gate, it talks about the, the fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. That's Proverbs chapter 1. We've read that verse no no less than a million times so far in our 17-week study thus far. Proverbs chapter 9 says says it again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So we remember the fear of the Lord. It means a pursuit of obedience according to his righteousness. I don't want to rehash that. Again, as I've taught over that concept, what it means to fear the Lord over and over and over again. But it's living according to his holiness, his righteousness. It's living in a way that would gain his stamp of approval according to his moral standard, which is his own righteousness and perfection. But the biggest reason, then, we, we struggle to fear the Lord in all that we do is because we fear something else other than the Lord. We consider the moral standard of God and who he is, and we have at least some sort of appreciation for that, but his, his moral standard isn't the only moral standard that exists in our society. Right? Everybody has all sorts of different worldviews and ideas of what is moral and what is not moral. And so our struggle as we pursue our relationship with God is that we have to make this conscious effort to decide, am I going to fear people and their moral standard? and their idea of righteousness, or am I going to fear the Lord? So that's easier said than done. We can say all day long, well, I'm gonna fear the Lord. Of course I'm gonna fear the Lord. And then we live our lives and we discover how difficult that is because people are strongly opinionated and people say we're wrong, and then I have to decide, oh, am I gonna go with God on this one or am I gonna go for the approval of man on this one? I, I think that it's fair to say we're all naturally inclined to pursue the fear of man and, and fear what others think. We're just naturally inclined that way. And it's only through God's word and, and the intervention of his spirit that we would be inclined, our hearts would be inclined to him and, and his standard of perfection. And so we need his intervention and we need his word in order to discern these things. And, I, and I'll tell you, I think he incentivizes us, uh, <laughs> well, that's, to, to, that's, the, that's the biggest understatement of the world. He, he incentivizes us to fear him. Through the gospel. Because when I pursue the fear of man, we think of it this way: it is very exhausting to pursue the fear of man. But it is very restful and peaceful to pursue the fear of the Lord. And here's what I mean by that. When we seek after the approval, after the approval of man, we get we get wore out in so many ways because people have so many different ideas of what's right and what's wrong. And so this is. Amplified on social media and things, it's exacerbated when we get on there and try to discern these things and, and interact with others. I mean, wh- when, when, when we get on social media and share pictures of our kids and, or a happy thought or whatever, I mean, everybody approves of that. Yeah, great, we, we love your kid's soccer photo, awesome. You know, uh, we're all on board with that. But it's when people get very opinionated on more divisive issues that it makes us insecure and it makes us feel like we don't have their approval. I've talked to to many people who who the polarization of opinions on social media has so exhausted and, and caused just such a great amount of stress. They just can't even deal with social media in any way, shape, or form anymore. Because here's what happens a lot of times when we get on there and someone expresses a strong opinion that you don't agree with, what do we start to think? Oh, man, I don't think like that. Boy, if they knew what I really thought, they wouldn't approve of me. And then we start getting frustrated. Oh, man, a lot of people think like that. Oh, no, a lot of people don't approve of the way that I think. They wouldn't approve of me if they really knew me. So Facebook is stupid, and I don't care what people think. That's what we say when we really care what people think, right? We say we don't care what people think. But this is is how social media can become so frustrating is because deep down, We have this inclination to pursue the approval of man. And when we feel like we don't have it, it causes us to grow more and more insecure and frustrated and and, and angry and fearful that we just don't have people's approval. And so when you're pursuing the the approval of man, here's the reality. It's conditional. It's fickle. It's fleeting. And so it's, it's burdensome right? It's burdensome. When you gain the approval of one man, you've lost the approval of another. And So here's how the gospel works with this emotion. The gospel redirects our fear to God and gives us peace because when I am seeking the approval of God in Christ, I have his approval. I don't have to work and wonder if I am approved by God or not because in Christ, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, I am approved by God and I'm pre-approved tomorrow. That's what it means to be in Christ because I am approved before God based on the works of Christ alone. It's faith in His righteousness and in His atonement. And so, my acceptance before God, this is the gospel, my acceptance before God is based solely on the works of Christ alone, and they are sufficient. He has met the condition for me. Therefore, God loves me unconditionally. What a relief. What rest? This is what brings so much weight to, to what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is how, you know, through, through Christ, the acceptance in Christ is. It's what causes this fear of the Lord to give us lasting peace. So we redirect our emotion of fear to God, and he gives us rest in return. I am proved. Also, something that happens whenever we redirect our fear to God is it makes us fearless before other men. It gives us confidence before other people. Some people lack so much confidence in their relationship with God because they're being distracted by the fear of man. And so we, we begin to develop insecurities in our life. And so, when, again, when you're, when you're pursuing the fear of man and, and the approval of man, it makes you paranoid. Think of this verse in, in 28.1, and I think this could be applied in many ways, but I think it works here. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Like when you're trying to please everybody, it makes you paranoid. You think, oh man, they're disapproving of me right now. But the truth of it is, they're not even thinking of you at all. But you're thinking about how they disapprove of you based on, their strong opinion on whatever issue that it may be. So it makes it makes one paranoid. But when we rest in the security of Christ, we have confidence and boldness because we are upholding what is good and what is right. The second emotion I want to talk about today is anger. Now, whenever you fear the Lord, here's what I believe can and will happen. Whenever you fear the Lord and pursue his righteousness, he can redirect, or he does redirect your anger to display uh, itself in, in a righteous and holy way, which is how we like to think that all of our anger is, is displayed, right? Anytime we get angry, it's justified. Well, I'm angry. Well, it's, I'm justifiably angry, and it's a good anger, right? <laughs> Jesus got mad and whipped the animals out of the temple, so he got mad, so I can be mad, I can be mad too. And my anger is always just as righteous as his is. We, we jump to that conclusion so quickly, don't we? Because we, we feel like we need to justify our anger every single time. Because here's the truth of the matter. Anger is an emotion that, that displays our judgment on something. When something is wrong, it makes us mad. And so when there is an injustice, we display anger over the injustice. Or something that we at least perceive to be an injustice. And isn't it perplexing? Isn't it, isn't it confusing when someone who wants to complain about God often complains about the wrath of God and the anger of God and the judgment of God, is does that not ooze with irony, right? When someone is mad about God getting mad, <laughs> when someone wants to display the the emotion of anger because of an injustice that they perceive God to, to when, when he when he displays anger about an injustice, he's He's evil, but you're good. You're good. It oozes with irony when someone complains about God like that, right? What kind of God would he be if he did not display anger over an injustice? He would be completely irrelevant, he would make no sense. Of course, we want God to display anger and wrath over an injustice. It's because he's loving. This is who he is. And it's why we are the way we are, it's why we get angry. Over an injustice because we're created in his, in his image, and so I think when we're really when, when we're really willing to be transparent, we have to admit that yeah we get mad, but sometimes our anger is good and sometimes our anger is bad, but not all anger is wrong, right? We know that there is righteous anger, and that's the anger we want to pursue. And so I think when when we're discerning if our anger is healthy or unhealthy. I think there are ways we can discern it. We can evaluate it. How does it manifest? How is our wrath displayed whenever we we feel this emotion? Well, I think when we look in Proverbs, we're taught that the emotion of anger, when it is healthy, it's patient, it's it's tolerant, it's sensible. It's able to think through things. Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs has much praise for the the patient person. So it talks about growing slow or, or responding in a way that is slow to anger. It doesn't say all anger is bad. It doesn't say a righteous person is never angry. It says they are slow to anger. It's a calculated emotion when it's healthy. You know, no one is slower to anger than God, though. Whenever you think about his wrath and his anger, if you're ever tempted to complain about his wrath, no one is slower to anger than God. Whenever he gets mad about something, realize it took him an eternity to get mad about it. He is eternal. No, no one is slower to anger than than God. And so we want to be slow to anger in the sense that we want to be like him. We want to when we experience an injustice in our lives we want to have enough sensibility about us to ask why why am i angry at this is it worthy of my anger and you can overlook someone's offense as you're processing that emotion it's a more sensible anger i wish i could say i did that every time like i wish i could stand up here and say like i'm slow to anger every single time my boys will tell you that's not always the case sometimes we see dad go one to a hundred in just a second. It's, just, it's true, I, I struggle with a, an appropriate, healthy display of emotion all the time in, in my life. But it's, it's, it's when we can admit that, I think, that we can see some progress. It's when we can evaluate and go back and think, okay, I need to apologize for that unhealthy response of anger. I want to display my anger in a way that is helpful and not hurtful. Proverbs twenty-nine twenty-two says it like this, a man of wrath stirs up strife strife. And, and one given to anger causes much transgression. If you don't control your anger or, or if you are not slow to anger, you may cause another injustice with your response to an injustice. And you've made the problem that much worse. Proverbs ten twelve says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. You can be angry in a loving way, but if you're angry in a hateful way, it's likely you're going to make matters worse. And so we want to make sure that we are slow to anger and we are representing a, a, a reflection of who God is. Proverbs 14, 29 says, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who, is hast- who has a hasty temper exalts folly. If you lose your temper like that, it's like, oops, your foolishness is showing When we we go one to a hundred like that, we're not solving a problem, we're creating one. We want to be slow to anger. We want to process things. And and here's how I think we get that wrong sometimes. When we see an injustice, we want to fix it or something we perceive to be wrong. We want to get in there and correct it. And our idea a lot of times of correcting every problem is marching in there and telling somebody how it is. I'm going to get in there and fix this right now. I'll make all this right. And we go in there like a mighty conqueror. But the book of Proverbs says that's that's not a really good view of anger and that's not a good display of anger. A matter of fact, it says in Proverbs 16, 32, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. You think you're this mighty conqueror a lot of times in, in your display of anger, but really you're just displaying your foolishness and your quick-temperedness. But if you can... If you can get control of your spirit and think through things calmly and and find that security in Christ that enables you to slow down and process things, only then are you displaying wisdom and only then are you displaying your anger in a righteous and healthy way like God. And it's the gospel that allows us to redirect our emotion of anger, right? And in the end, God promises, this this is a part of the gospel, in the end, God will make all things new. He will make things right again, no matter what. He will return and make all things right. And he will will get rid of all things that are wrong. And so as we follow him, as we live out these emotions in our lives, we do our best to reflect his glory. We do our best to reflect his emotions in this world in a righteous way. But we're not going to be able to correct everything that's wrong. We're not going to be able to fix everything like he does. But I know that he will... And so that slows me down. As a matter of fact, the truth that he will correct all things wrong, that is our resource to be patient. That is our resource to be tolerant in this world. We tap into the truth that he will make things right no matter what. So if we can't make things right or if we fail to make things right, we can rest in the fact that he will make it right no matter what. If not through us now, then in the end when he returns. So we can be redirected in our emotion of anger through the gospel. Here's the third emotion. This one's dangerous. Here's one that I bet you every single one of us in this room deals with on some level, but we would never admit it. It's jealousy. We're really good at hiding jealousy. Jealousy is an emotion that creeps up on us and causes havoc in our lives without us even knowing it. You talk about being able to... Uh, pay attention to your emotions and understanding why you feel the way that you feel, a lot of times when you pay attention to your emotions, you'll discover that it, you have this, this root of jealousy that exists in your life that you haven't dealt with, and that's what's causing this emotion to take place. Listen to how Proverbs uh, encourages us to not underestimate jealousy. In Proverbs 27.4, it says this, Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. Well, who can stand before jealousy. And Proverbs does that a lot. It'll talk about something, it'll say, this is bad, this is really bad. But this this was, this is so bad. Those things don't even feel bad anymore. That's how it talks about jealousy. Wrath is bad, anger can be bad, but when you talk about jealousy, oh man, it just puts the other two to shame. And when you think about when you think about the the emotion of jealousy like I think it's superior to anger, and to a negative emotion of anger and a negative emotion of fear in this sense. Like when someone's mad at me, I can at least discern that. There's a visible display of anger, and and so maybe I did do something wrong. I can do something about it if someone's mad at me. I can confront them in a way that, that gets to the heart of the issue. Maybe I did something wrong, and I need to repent. I need to apologize. I can deal with someone when they're mad at me, but when someone is jealous of me, what can I do? It's likely I don't even know it's there. It's secretive. It's hidden. And so when, when someone is jealous of me or jealous of you, what can you do about it if you don't even know that it's there? How can you combat it? I think that's the sense in which this proverb says, who can stand before jealousy? It'll win every time. And so when we harbor jealousy towards someone, though, it's often that we don't even know it's there either. And it's only by paying attention to our emotions that we can really get to the root of that. You know, Proverbs 14.30 says it like this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Do you feel envious of someone today? Are you jealous about something or someone today? Here's a good way to figure that out. Is there someone in your life that when they succeed, uh, it makes you angry or grumpy? Is there someone in your life that when they fail, it brings you joy, It puts a smile on your face, or it just gives you a warm feeling inside? <laughs> that warm feeling is like cancer, and it will kill you. It will rot your bones. That's what Proverbs wants us to think and know. And so I, I think, too, here's, here's another really twisted thing about the emotion of jealousy— we can be jealous of people who are good and people who are bad, right? I mean, aren't there times in which you, as you're living in this world, you look at someone who just seems to be doing all of the wrong things, seems to have all of the wrong motives, seems to just be a bad person, but they are succeeding in so many ways. You think, boy, it must be nice to live in that house. Boy, it must be nice to have that car. Boy, it must be nice to have those relationships or that position of of authority, or whatever it may, may be, like we begin to look at someone who's doing all the wrong things, but so many great things are happening to them that we begin to envy them in that way. Proverbs 24, 19 through 20 says this, fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. So the gospel redirects our emotion of jealousy and that it reminds us we have an eternal inheritance in Christ. We have an eternal inheritance that is an existence free from sin for, for the rest of, of ever. That is superior to anything that this world has to offer. It's, it's superior to anything we could possibly crave right here and right now. So why would we ever waste time envying someone who was wicked? But we do. We struggle with it. But we also envy good people. And that can cause problems in our life too. Here's a, here's a homework text because I don't have time to really flesh all of this out. But if you go to Philippians chapter 1 uh, verses 12 through 18, that would be a great place to study later in the day. Because Paul talks about a group of, of preachers that struggle with a rivalry and conceit or a jealousy with his ministry. And so Paul, when he writes the book of Philippians, he's in jail, Right? And so just, just like today, back then, preachers would preach, and they'd plant churches, and they'd grow ministries, and they would get competitive with one another. It's the exact same thing that happens today that's always been that way because we're fallen human beings. But pastors, when they're trying to grow ministries, they look down the street and think, man, am I doing better than them? Or or, or, or are they doing better than me? And we want to be the biggest and best ministry on the block. And so we begin to develop these insecurities. That's been going on since the time of Paul. And so he addresses that in in that first chapter of Philippians. He says there's some pastors that they they preach out of rivalry and, and and a competitive spirit because they want to be the best ministry on the block. And here I am in jail. And so they probably are happy that I'm here because now I can't grow my ministry. They can poach my people while I'm stuck in here and everything. But here's here's his posture about it. Hey, if they're preaching the gospel, I'm going to rejoice. If their ministry does better than mine, as long as they're preaching the gospel, man, I'll be excited for them. If I'm stuck in here in jail, then I'll just be excited and rejoice in the fact that I can share the gospel with my fellow inmates. I can share the gospel with the guards. And that's exactly what he does. That's how he lives his life. So he just refuses to have this jealousy towards others because it's not about him. That's how how the gospel redirects our emotion of jealousy. It reminds us that ultimately none of this is about us. We We are to live to the glory of God in every aspect of life, whether it be your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with coworkers, your relationship with, uh, with, with people in your family, it's all to the glory of God. It's not about us. And so the gospel redirects our emotions so that we can recognize jealousy when it's there and it doesn't cause us to be eaten up from the inside out. When we're wrapped up in the glory of God, and he takes that which would normally be decay and he turns it into life. he gives us peace. Which brings us to the fourth emotion that I want to talk about today. I told you I wanted to end on a high note. I want to talk about the emotion of cheerfulness. Does everybody in here have the emotion of cheerfulness? Some of you struggle with that one? Maybe you're, you're grumpy. <laughs> I always say that like, I'm becoming a grumpy old man. I can feel it. <laughs> like... I, I've mentioned before, I feel like I'm in grumpy old man puberty. Like, I, I have these strong emotions of grumpiness. I don't know why they're there. I hear modern music, and I'm like, that's dumb. I don't even know what they're saying. I see ripped up jeans on teenagers, and I'm like, those fools. I, I just, I feel it. I feel it coming on. So cheerfulness is getting harder and harder to obtain. Proverbs 1515 says all the days of the afflicted are evil but the cheerful the cheerful of heart has a continual feast here's the reality we're all living in a fallen and sinful world we're all living in a world that is afflicted by sin and you and I are always going to feel that affliction as we live our lives but we as believers because of the gospel it redirects this emotion we live in a continual feast we feast upon the gospel of Christ right The communion that we take at the end of every single service represents this feast, this continual feast on truth that transforms our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings, our inclinations, our lives. We have this continual feast in a world that that, that is living in a famine of cheerfulness. Proverbs 17.22 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I think that when we as believers take this gospel into the world, when we live it out, it's like we're, we're taking medicine to people. We're taking true medicine to people that will heal them. And so we interact with people in a way that, that maybe corrects a misconception about God. Hey, you may think God is wrathful in a mean way, you may think he's wrathful. In, in, in an inappropriate way. You may think he's disgusted with you and that he hates you, but the way that he feels about you is not like that at all. If you read in scripture, his, his display of love and his display of emotions in scripture, you'll see that he doesn't feel that way about you at all. He's not out to ruin us, he's out to redeem us. God came into to this world not as the accuser, he came into this world as the redeemer. The one who is the accuser is not God in Scripture. So he's come to to love us and to show compassion to us, and he loves us more than than you could possibly comprehend. That's the medicine that this world needs to correct their misconceptions about God. And this is what makes us cheerful. It's what we feast upon in the midst of affliction. Proverbs 15.30 says, "...the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones." So, again, when we take the good news of the gospel, the best news that there will ever be, we are taking life into this world. God is redeeming it, and we are the means by which he spreads this love and joy and peace and hope. And it's like he's saying to the world, hey, I'll, t- I'll take that, that decay in your bones, I'll take that sin, I'll take that death, and I'll give you love in return. It's a message that redirects our emotions by redirecting our thoughts on the, on the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it redirects our, our thoughts not on the, not, upon not only here and now, but on the what is to come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that has to be what we are about. And as we do that, we will begin to reflect God in a way that he really is. We will be able to to help others and invest in others in a meaningful way through his spirit and see God's kingdom advance. Let's pray to that end as we close our service. Lord, I thank you so much for the truth of your gospel. I thank you so much for, for teaching us how to evaluate our emotions through books like Proverbs. I thank you for teaching us about what a righteous display of emotions is through the Gospels of your Son. Lord, I, I pray that each and every Sunday that we gather here, that as we, we take communion with one another, we can truly feast upon that which brings our cheerfulness, that it's not an artificial cheerfulness, it's not a fleeting happiness, but Lord, it, it, it is a joy to feed upon your righteousness and your atonement because this is something that brings us into eternity with you and deals with our sin in a way that is permanent. Lord, help us to live with that hope, help us to live with that truth, and help us to take that hope and that truth into this world in a meaningful way. Lord, would you bless our time of communion today, that as we take it with one another, we will truly feast and celebrate upon upon what you have done. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray.